Friends, it's easy. Just head on over to Shudder.com and sign up for the best streaming platform on God's green earth. This isn't a paid spot. The Lord doesn't need to pay us for any spots. You don't need any promo codes. Promo codes, we cast ye out. The wages of sin is death. But the cost of Shudder is less than $10 a month. Can we even put a price on a streaming platform that includes the endless, the wailing, the medium, the stuff, female prisoner scorpion number 701's grud song, woodlands dark and days bewitch, butcher breaker, nightmare maker, and blood beat. And after you sign up, go ahead and watch their new movie, Revealer, and then come on back here and listen to our review. Hell, this evangelistic intro you're listening to now is not going to make much sense until you've seen the movie. Now, before you go, let's say a quick prayer to our Lord. Oh, Craig Angler. Hello, 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 and welcome to a new episode of the Scary Stuff Podcast. This is Eric Dellinger, joined by co-host Nick Leamy. Hey, everybody, how you doing? And Jacob Jones Goldstein. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Yeah, as the quote implies, we are doing a very special episode. If editing and scheduling go as planned, this episode will be released on June the 23rd, which is the date of release for the movie we're talking about today, which is Revealer, which will be premiering on Shudder. Exciting times. Yeah, this is exciting. This is our first time getting to do like a day and date for a Shudder release. Yeah, well, we had the big time now. <laughs> we finally made it. <laughs> Somebody was like, hey, would you like to talk about this on your podcast? And we were like, we can't shut up about things. So yes, of course we would like to talk about this. <laughs> and we get to feel special for seeing it before the general population. Well, of course we would like to do that. Yeah, because this played uh, one film fest uh, pretty recently, which was Panic Film Fest. And I think that was the only one. And so, yeah, it's... The shutter release is going to be kind of when it goes wide. So it's really, really exciting with that in mind. So obviously we're going to be dropping this episode, hopefully the exact day it comes out on shutter. So a, before we get too far into it, as always, we're a full spoiler podcast. So just real quick, would we recommend it? I would. Yep. I would too. I can safely say uh, without spoiling anything, it is a wonderful kind of love letter to the eighties. I feel. Yeah, I I would recommend it too. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you're curious about the film, we're about to spoil it. We're about to get into kind of a breakdown of it. And then we might have a bit of an interview segment with a special guest after this. So we'll get into that later. But yeah, go check out the movie on Shudder and then come back and we'll get into a review. Uh, Oh, also, if you do see the movie and you dig it, I'm going to just mention this early. There is a comic tie-in coming up for it. So August 31st, from Vault Comics, and we're big fans of Vault here. It is a one-shot, I believe, coming out as a tie-in to the film. It's kind of an anthology. The writers of this movie worked on it, I believe. The director did as well. But it's a one-shot coming out August 31st, and all the net profits of that comic are being donated to the Brave Space Alliance, which is the first black-led, trans-led, LGBTQ plus center, which is located on the south side of Chicago, Illinois. Yay! All the net profits are going there. You can find out more about that organization at bravespacealliance.org. But I just wanted to mention that if you see the movie and you dig it, go to your local comic shop before final order cutoff so you can get your order in for the one shot. And like I said, all the net profits are going to a great cause. That's pretty cool. 
that gives me the warm fuzzies. And it, you know, it makes sense since since two of the writers on this were, you know, are big time comic guys. Yes, indeed. So if you follow us on social media, we've been and come on. If you don't, what what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, share, and subscribe. Leave us a five star review. Hey, we don't ask for much. Follow the Twitter. I run the Instagram, so like I get it if you don't follow that. Follow but follow both. the Twitter. Man, Eric's good out there. Eric's amazing on the Twitter. <laughs> we're, we're mostly retweets at this point, but that's actually kind of where I'm going with this. Is we've retweeted this a lot from the moment it was first announced. We've been retweeting it a bunch, and it was purely because. Before the trailer, before, like, literally the initial announcement was just the logo, which is the logo you see in the finished film. But I didn't care. It was, look, this is a movie that is co-written by Michael Morisi and Tim Seeley, who are both folks I was already reading in comics anyway. <laughs> so these, yep. this is a horror movie co-written by two comic creators who I'm a big fan of. So shit, yes. So we've retweeted basically everything about it. So to get a chance to see it and talk about it, holy shit. So this was exciting. And now having seen it, yeah, I, I quite liked it. And I think we'll probably get into more details on it, on why here in a little bit. But it's it's kind of perfect that it ended up on Shudder. Yeah. That it's, you know, Shudder picked it up and it's going to be a Shudder original because it was like, oh, yeah, this this absolutely belongs on Shudder. Perfect place for it. Agreed. Yeah. You know, so I was thinking about a, a comp for it. And wasn't... I ran through things, but in, in the end, the one that really kept springing to mind for me was The Void. Hmm. Now, that's not based on the plot, obviously. Right. The plots are very... Well, actually, they're not even that dissimilar. I mean, there's some elements. But, but you're thinking, like, look and feel. Yeah, look and feel, it felt very much in that kind of vein. This is independent horror. This is, you know, creative use of budget and space and lighting to make an you know an experience that's a little bit you know a little bit different a little bit off key cuz you know you if you make do with what money you have but this has a good script yes it has great performances i at least i enjoyed them and you know a fun idea and it's it's a bit of a bottle episode type movie very much so yeah it's like two sets yeah you know there's a couple other people in it but it's really about two people and you know their situation and much like the void is you know they're trapped Bad stuff happening all around them. You don't really have a good handle on what for most of it. And just, it was just a very similar vibe to me. This is a, like, I think Nick mentioned up front, it's a love letter to the 80s and 80s heart. The only other, the only one that jumped to mind was the, um, oh, and of course I didn't write it down, so I'm blank. The VHS game one, or the VHS. Beyond the Gates? Beyond, yeah. Oh, Nick beat me to it, yeah. Barbara Beyond the Grant. Gates yeah. was another similar kind of like it's in that vein like it's that kind of horror movie it's very much like um like if Stuart gordon was still around i was about to say it 100 percent has its lighting scheme coming from from beyond <laughs> it's got the from beyond yeah. purple all over the place oh yeah this is another purple and pink horror movie yep. which is all the rage i love them yeah it's touching on something you just mentioned well it's funny kind of the I haven't seen it in ages, but the first thing that came to my mind was Night of the Comet. Yes. Yep. Okay. Just being an, an 80s movie with, with you know, the two leads and whatnot, uh, more set pieces in that. But that was kind of one of the first 80s ones that came to mind. Because, again, this is one of the things I thought was kind of fun about the movie, which is, you know, there's obviously been this recent surge in 80s nostalgia. Well, it's easier to make horror movies when no cell phones were around. Which was a big part of Tim Seeley has cited that specifically in an interview was one of the reasons it was like, all right, well, like you mentioned, so this movie was made very economically 
they haven't said what the exact budget is, but it was low. Oh, yeah. And it was made during early, early days of the pandemic. So it was, all right, we need a setting which has minimal cast, minimal crew, and all the things that spun out of that. And one of the other things was that help with that was working through, all right, well, we need to eliminate cell phones then because cell phones obviously open up a bunch of other avenues. So, all right, and going back to the 80s. But there's been this, you know, the the 80s resurgence with, you know, Stranger Things and all these movies with kind of a resurgence of, you know, synthwave Carpenter-esque scores, you know, with the guest. Um, oh, no. Jake Jake has me blanking on it. Oh, my gosh. Um, oh, he caught my disease. Oh, my Can't gosh. Can't remember shit disease. <laughs> oh, my God. It just left my head. <laughs> Oh, which is a problematic because I rely on Eric to know things and remember things because I can't Yep. like I, I'm not kidding. We, we'll be in movie theaters or, you know, back when you could go to movie theaters and we'd be staring and I'd be sitting there and I could feel like Eric could feel the tension coming from me and lead over to be like, he was in Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> the one from the summer of 84. Uh, hey. Summer of 84 is what I was trying to think of. I was thinking, I was like, oh, it's the, the fucking milk carton movie from the guys who did Turbo Kid. And, <laughs> and, and my brain could not get past that. Holy Boy, shit. How have we not done Summer of 84 yet? We've talked about it. We talked about that and Kid Detective at the same time and Corvette. Oh, Boy, that would be a fun trilogy. Speaking of, and I might have misread it, so double check it, but I think Clovehitch Killer is coming to Shudder in June. Another reason, go sign up for Shudder. They've got a whole selection for Pride Month right now for June. They've got uh, revealers coming out obviously they've got i think clovich killer they've got mad god coming out which is the phil Tippett movie that he spent like 20 years making that's finally being released so yeah it's, it's a good month for shutter also shutter's always good. absolutely shutter's I mean, always <laughs> awesome yeah how are you listening to this fucking four-hour horror podcast and you know you got shutter <laughs> yeah it's i should probably take it as a given at this point <laughs> well i'm just on everybody's case you know listen to our for you know follow our social media you don't have shutter what the fuck i'm out here just offending the one last person who's just dipping their toe into our podcast and telling them to get the hell out apparently i'm sorry listeners i'm cranky you're tonight. just leaning into your horror grump you know you're being true to yourself it's okay i didn't think i was gonna be i was in a good mood well then you mentioned Stuart gordon <laughs> That was on you. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, we all have our triggers. That's all right, because Eric was talking about nostalgia without saying nostalgia, so I'm going to definitely make his eye twitch tonight. <laughs> no, I said 80s nostalgia, didn't I? But you never said the word nostalgia. All right, I don't think you did. Hey, everyone, Eric here in post-production land, and if you can just bear with me for just a minute, I just got to check something real quick. Let me back this up. There. Okay. One of the things I thought was kind of fun about the movie, which is, you know, there's obviously been this recent surge in 80s nostalgia. <sighs> you know, I gripe a lot about how much time I invest in editing this podcast, but well, not be said, it's not without its benefits. So, all right. Thanks for bearing with me while I did a bit of an imitation of Harry Call in the conversation. And now back to the show. You never said the word nostalgia. All right, I don't think you did. No, it absolutely is nostalgia. Because every time I say nostalgia, you yell at me. Rightfully so. You don't use it right. <laughs> I yell at you for something very specific when it comes to nostalgia. It's a miracle I didn't yell at you about it in the Thing episode, which we have coming up two days after this, because that's where a lot of it comes from. Or it's tied in with that movie. But at any rate, with the surge in 80s nostalgia, this movie... So a lot of it's based on 
we said it's kind of you know kid centric thing because a lot of the curators doing it. It's you know it's based on the period where they were growing up, which applies here too. But I thought this movie was interesting going and it doing a bit of AG's nostalgia with you know the synth wave and whatnot, but doing it from a different. 80s element which was in this very particular niche of the whole you know the adult store peep show yeah. you know i don't know if boom is the right word but it was a thing back <laughs> in the, you know mid late 80s all right so just real quick slight tangent here Uh-oh. now i i've never been in one of those well i mean like as a paying customer i certainly never danced in one um <laughs> And maybe you guys haven't. I don't know. Maybe this might be a question for our listeners, but are they that roomy normally? Like, that was a big cup. I always pictured it with just like a little square box where, you know, woman on a stool or something. And this was like a big sort of room. You know, she had stuff for a place for her to keep her things with lamps and stuff in there. And they may be that big normally. I just, it occurred to me watching it. It's like, I always thought those would be smaller. I, I've only almost been to one. The one I almost went to. And the reason we went is because it is this really weird... Yeah, we know the reason you went. Shut up. (laughs) It's unique because apparently Pennsylvania has one of the only drive-up drive-through peep shows. Huh. You drive up to it like you're getting a fast food and you come up to the one window where you pay. Instead, you're getting a fast five. And then you come up to the next window and the woman dances for you and you never get out of your car. We went there during the middle of the fucking day, so of course they were closed, and we just like drove through. And th- this is ridiculous. This is crazy. <laughs> but it's 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 a drive up, drive through peep show, and it was very unique. And I was just like, I can't believe this fucking exists. Oh, I can. I've never been. The last time I saw a peep show in a piece of media was in the latest season of Titans, where there's a subplot where. Jason Todd goes to one to basically confess his sins. He's just in like a confessional to him. I really got to watch Titans, Everyone's got to watch Titans on HBO Max, man. It sounds like just Riverdale with superpowers. It, that's not far off, yeah. But yeah, I, I have kind of something similar in my notes, man. Because you for this one, so the character who's the peep show performer in this movie, her name is Angie. Played by uh, Kato Essay. Yeah, who's an actual burlesque performer, has been an actress in a bunch of stuff. Big D&D player, apparently. Yeah! Nice. Nerds helping nerds, man. Just looking up a resume, and there was something for a evening of D&D that came up, and it was for, uh, what was it called? Drinking and Dragons, a night of gameplay, and it was like a ticketed event. She was one of the players, and it says, Kato has been an obsessive D&D player since their brother made the deadly mistake of introducing them to this game back in 2018. Since then, favorite games Kato has DM'd include the long-running Curse of Strahd. Nice. And a special homebrew featuring a charming pacifist goat, Tiefling Druid. Nice. And a marvelously neurotic and nihilistic Kenku Gloomstalker. Nice. <laughs> when Kato isn't playing D&D, parentheses, a very rare occasion, she's an actor with big mouth talent and a company member with Plan 9 Burlesque and an avid heart. Plan 9 Burlesque! How great. So, so yeah, big D&D player. And she's a lot of fun in the film. But yeah, f- from the character's perspective... That was one of my notes because I saw the bills that everyone's putting in the tray. It's five dollar bills, and it was. I think it was like, man, it's a hell of a bargain for this performance you get for five bucks. Even in the eighties, it's you know someone's like you know talking to a coworker, saying, "Yeah, hey, I was thinking about going by a strip club after work. You got five bucks? No, 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 no. Go down to Revealers, <laughs> ask for Angie." For five bucks, you get choreography. <laughs> She's got a fan blowing her hair around. Her boost lit up like a Mario Bava movie. She got a smoke machine. She got pyro. It's a- 
It's fucking. This is a hell of a deal for five bucks in that movie. And you'll get Gunship Dark all day too. Woohoo! God, I I I lost my shit when that song started. <laughs> I don't think I had heard it before this movie. So song, yeah, Dark All Day, and the band's name is Gunship. Yep. I don't know if Jake has music stuff on. I I don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got something for this because I love this song and I love this band. It, it sounded so much like Nick music. It I just really kind of let it be. But you don't even know. <laughs> it, this this particular song is featuring Tim Capello, mm-hmm. who you, you may know as the saxophone player from Lost Boys. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. He's on this song doing the saxophone. And the animated music is amazing because he's in the animated video alongside Blade, Buffy, and Seth Gecko and the Frog Brothers in Santa Carla, and they all get taken down by David and his vampires. It's amazing. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, Dark All Day by Gunship. Check it out. and You should just check out everything Gunship. They're delightfully 80s-esque. Yeah, when I saw the, the song kicking up, I was like, well, this is perfect. It's so good. And yeah, I looked up the video after. It's got a shitload of views, so yeah. Yeah, there were a couple things in this movie that, that hit, and I was immediately in love with it. The, the use of this song, very happy. They played the whole damn song, too, which I was appreciative. And then later on, there's a little hit of the game, when she drops the Chud reference, I lost my shit. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd... I saw that, I was like, oh, Nick's gonna like I that. I was so happy! <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you get a Chud reference. I had mixed feelings on the Chud reference. Oh, why? <laughs> All right. So, well, let's... Remind me later. Let's circle back to that. Okay. <laughs> Just since it comes up later. So, yeah, circling back to, to one thing I wanted to mention earlier. So I kind of got off on, on the 80s stuff. But the one of the reasons I was so excited for the movie was based on who wrote it. But the other reason was when I found out more about the premise is, like Jake mentioned, it's it's a very minimal set piece. It's, it's a bottle movie, basically. We're very minimal setup. And I am a sucker for minimal set piece movies you know where it's just a couple of characters in a single location and i just this week i watched windfall which is the one of the new movies by charlie mcdowell who did the one i love which is a movie i really really dug and this windfall is the new film with it's on netflix i guess it came out in march it's uh jesse plemons jason siegel and lily collins which i also enjoyed because again this particular setup if you have decent script and good performers then you you can really do an awful lot. It's a, I'm, I'm trying not to go. This is a tangent I've had with my roommate over some television shows this season, which have been hamstrung by tight budgets. And it's one of those things like, hey. at the end of the day, there's very rarely is there something more effective than putting two people in a room and having them talk. Yep. And it's nice that we're, I'm glad to see television getting more into the realm of, of spectacle. It's fun seeing, you know, be bigger and bigger things happen. And, you know, bigger, bigger serialized projects and whatnot. But at the same time, it's like, but can we not forget that just two people in the room talking goes a long fucking way? So, yeah, that was an, something about this film. I was glad to see. Have we learned nothing from Mike Flanagan? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so that was that was an element going into the film that I, I really appreciated. Um, before we go too far into the film, do we want to do the production rundown real quick? Absolutely. So, for those of you listening, this was released today. Uh, (laughs) hope you enjoy it the film was directed edited written and produced by luke boyce who also has worked on happily never after and the puka which is a short i watched it and i really really liked it um you can find it on vimeo it's worth your time it's like 15 minutes this is also written by michael morisi and tim seeley who i think i'll leave to you guys to discuss their work with 
Yeah, well, actually, we might be talking about some other stuff they worked on later, but to call out a couple things particularly, um, actually, I'm going to save this stuff Mauricio worked on because of, for later, for one particular reason. I want to bring something specific up later. But for Tim Seeley, it's, if people are fans of horror comics, Tim's name is probably going to jump out at you just because he's been working on them for so long, because too specifically. Many, but too specifically, if you've been reading horror comics for a while, Tim was one of the creators on Hackslash. So Hackslash has been a, a big one in a lot of corners of horror fandom. And then also Revival, which is a series drawn by Mike Norton, but also comes up because if you look at Luke Boyce's Vimeo page, like Nick mentioned, what you'll also see there is a proof of concept teaser trailer for a Revival movie which they were working on at one point, And I think they were working on that going into when the pandemic hit and that kind of tabled it. And this is the movie that kind of spun out of it. And speaking specifically in terms of horror comics, Maurice's worked on a lot of vault stuff recently. He was the co-writer on the plot and he's currently writing a series called barbaric, which I highly recommend everyone. Barbaric is great. Yeah. Not horror. It's more of a, a very, a very dark humored fantasy, but it's a, yeah. it's a lot of fun. And if you like, squishy books and then there's a lot to enjoy in it from that aspect too but yeah we'll, we'll probably talk more on their their comic work later all right cinematography was by robert patrick stern who's worked on happily never after the stylist and brooklyn 45 and the special effects supervisor was brian zurich who worked on broadcast signal intrusion the rake and happily never after music was by alex cuervo who worked on scare package the pale door a bad idea gone wrong. It's produced by Shatterglass Films, which was founded by Luke Boyce, and has also produced The Husband, Friend Request, The Puka, and Seeds. And of course, this is being distributed by Shudder, who have done things like The Sadness and Train to Busan and Watcher. So let, let me get this out of the way, because Nick's going to hate it. <laughs> the community connection here is a little tough, because there's, there's not a lot of, but certainly nothing direct. There's like three people involved in this film. And none of them happened to work on community. So uh, I, I went the fun route. So one of the characters in this uh, is played by Bishop Stevens. Mm-hmm. Ray. Ray. Yeah. And he's a lot of fun in this. And he happened to be on the show Empire. Now, he was on the show Empire with very briefly a guest appearance by Gina Gershon. And Gina Gershon appears in the bumper for the community's sixth, uh, fifth season episode of VCR Maintenance and Educational Publishing. Now, the reason I picked this one. There were a few other tangential connections, but that's the connections. Bishop Stevens, Empire, to Gina Gershon. Gina Gershon is in the bit on Community where a guy gets a role in a VCR game, and she convinces ah! him to quit his job because VCR games are the future. Pile of bullets! <laughs> Pile of bullets! That's my favorite Community episode. Really? Nice. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. Well, Gina Gershon is the wife who, you know, remember we talked about trying cocaine? There are probably other community episodes I've laughed at more, but it's just Waddle because the B plot in that one is is the illicit black market textbook yep. textbooks. Yep. But it's, it's got your it's, guy in it too. It's got Vince Gilligan in it, but yeah, for no fucking reason. Like once a week, I was sick of Vince Gilligan just going the, the last line of the scene with Gina Gershon. Him going pile of bullets. <laughs> I think that all the fucking time as my favorite. You were the new episode. Luke Skywalker. <laughs> 
<laughs> so anyway, so that that's our, our tangential community connection. But it was I love that one. 80s VCR games and, you know, made me think of the the one I mentioned earlier and then this. So it, it works. Don't think too much about it. It's worth mentioning that uh, your connection there, Bishop Stevens, uh, was also worked on Clash of the Vampires, Slice, The Horrific Evil Monsters, and The Girl on the Third Floor. And? <laughs> Go on, Eric. All right. So this is cool because Jacob did his community bit. So now I get to do my <laughs> bit that's going <laughs> to annoy my co Bishop Stevens was the atomic dog in the WCW power plant where he trained under Harley Race in 1998. Oh, we all get to get our stuff in on this bit. Yes. He's, he's the community connection and the bullshit wrestling connection. Yes. He is the atomic dog. He wrestled from 1998 to 2008 as both the atomic dog and Ollie Stevens. Nice. You look him up on YouTube and find promos of him. Yes. He looks so happy. And Nick is about to storm out from us doing this bitch back to back. <laughs> You're both very happy, and I'm very happy for you. <laughs> yeah, now we got to work in Fraggle Rock money somehow. Oh, my God. Okay, so we want to talk about the HBO bit now? <laughs> yes. Let's talk about the bit where the movie lost me. I was going to wait, but fuck it. Let's keep this ball rolling. I'm excited. I was digging the shit out of this movie. Until we got the Chud reference. Aww. When she makes the reference to Chud and says, what? You know, cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers? And wait a minute, I got the I got the line written down. Give me a second. I'm not a Chud, okay? I don't know the ins and outs of a subterranean city. And you have no idea what a Chud is, okay? You know what? Excuse me for splurging on HBO. It seemed like a better investment at the time than sneakers. And I loved this character up until this point. <laughs> you have been spending an hour and of this hour and 20 minute movie trying to get me to have sympathy for this person who has to take all these extra shifts at a fucking peep show because <laughs> she's destitute and desperately trying to make money. And she has fraggle rock money. <laughs> oh, that shit went out the window. said, fuck this. I, I laughed so goddamn hard and I took such a turn on this film. So she was just straight slumming down here is what you're saying. I told you Fraggle Brack Buddy's not rich. It's totally a thing. You said it seemed like a better investment at the time than sneakers. You can buy a million sneakers if you can afford Fraggle Rock. You're the 1%. I know I have a skewed opinion of it, but... I can't breathe. And this I is the breathe. 80s, man. This, this is the Fraggle Rock money era. Her nephew that she's the guardian of, <gasps> who's sitting there and talking about how, you know, circumstances and she's his guardian, but not a legal guardian. <laughs> this poor kid is going to school talking about how hard he's got it. And it's like, man, it sucks being poor. You know, my aunt's got to take all these extra shifts doing it. Man, it's my life sucks. Yo, I'm just broke all the time. And his classmates are like, oh, yeah, what happened on Fraggle Rock last week? I said, oh, well, <laughs> you know, they went into this thing called the Terrible Tunnel and the Doozers. And I said, I fucking knew it. And the kid's getting his ass handed to him by all his classmates who can't afford fucking Fraggle Rock. <laughs> now we know why she's in hell at the end. <laughs> exactly! <laughs> Oh, God! <laughs> it's like, what did she ever do? Was she living in denial of who she was like other characters? 
No! <laughs> she had Fraggle Rock money. <laughs> that breaks it all home, man. That, that's good writing. Like, that oh. ties it together. They tell you why she's in hell. Oh, Jesus Christ. And you and if you're in the know, like, if you understand the concept of Fraggle Rock money, oh. this movie is tight. It makes sense. And it, it drops hints. It's an Easter egg, effectually. Why is she in hell? Fraggle Rock money. Oh. Buckle up, Nick. <laughs> It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who had HBO between 1985 and 1988 to enter the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) That's more shameful than going to the fucking peep show. (laughs) And hey, the peep show's not even that bad. There's no nudity. (sighs) Oh my gosh. And if this is one of your first episodes of our podcast, (laughs) go back and listen to episode four, where we stress what it was like for Jake and I growing up on the streets, HBO-less, devoid of Fraggle Rock. (laughs) And our our rich co-host, Nick, with his creamy Italian and Fraggle Rock money. Just Nick having Jim Henson fed to him on a silver fucking spoon. What can I say? Dudes are going to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we now know Eric and I are getting into heaven. <laughs> oh, I've been screwed for a long time. <laughs> HBO Max doesn't count. HBO Max doesn't count. And even if it did, we got Shudder, so it balances out. <laughs> I, I love that we both watched that moment. And I was like, Chud, yes! And you were like, Fraggle Rock Monday! <laughs> we, we really gotta get a t-shirt in the stores, man. <laughs> Convention season's coming up. Oh, God. So, yeah. Clearly, they weren't $5 bills being dropped in that tray. They must have been 50s, because otherwise, how do you afford HBO <laughs> in 1987? <laughs> and, and, and like we said, it was a roomy stripper booth, so, you know, upscale. Yeah, spacious, yeah. <laughs> Diamond class. <laughs> Ray was one in a hell of a joint, had all the you know, all the videos and stuff. Had like we said he's got the Mario Bava lighting going on. Got copies of heavy metal. Yep. Well, that made me happy. Oh, I wanted to look up that issue, but man, it's hard doing a cover search on heavy metal because goddamn, every cover is like <laughs> similar elements. Well, that one in particular I don't have the table of contents. And I don't have the actual issue, but it is the winter 1987 issue, appropriately enough, since the movie set in 87. Ooh, nice. And I know that the cover was done by Greg Hildebrandt. Nice. So, Yeah, but like 90% of them were. The other ones were Frank Frazetta. Yeah, Frank Frazetta. <sighs> Maybe some Simon Bisley in there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, Simon Bisley once in a while. I want to go find my old Frank Frazetta Death Dealer shirt. I miss that thing. <laughs> I So, he- all right. I don't know if this is even a good story or not. So, you know, heavy metal was not aimed for kids. Oh, no. But, you know, they sold it with other comics. So if you weren't really in the know, you know, you could see that and epic and think, oh, my kids like fantasy. I'll get them a couple issues of this. So part of the reason I love comics, well, not really, but when I get sick, I always just want to sit down and read comics because when I was younger, and, you know, I'd get sick and I'd be home from school. My dad would come by and he would usually bring me, you know, my brother, a big stack of comics. And I very distinctly remember one time he came 
and he had an issue of Epic and he had an issue of Heavy Metal for us because he knew we liked fantasy stuff. And I don't think he flipped through them. And this was one of the two or three greatest moments of my young life. Because this was like, like you didn't have to go out in the woods, man. Shit got delivered today. <laughs> in a paper bag advertising Justice League Europe. <laughs> like there was, I, I still remember, man, it was the paper bag. Was, you know, and there was other comics in it. You know, he got whatever was out there. And I remember like, comics, this is great. I love this. And then seeing it was like the holy grail at the back of that bag. It was like, ah, uh, except. Instead of, ah, it was heavy metal. You know, it was... <laughs> I say, were you tearing the corner of it, like fucking getting the golden ticket in Willy Wonka? <laughs> like, you just see the corner, and there's the flute. <laughs> and then it becomes a moment, because suddenly, you know, you have to protect this object with all your, you know, your, your fierce, you know, my stomach's upset might. Because if, you know, he wants to sit down and flip through comics with you, you're going to have a problem. Because the second he sees what is in this heavy metal, that is no longer your heavy metal. Nope. And I, oh, I just, I remember this vividly. There was an issue of Epic and an issue of heavy metal. And it was, oh, it's a great day. <laughs> I was sick and everything, man. It's still like one of the happiest young days of my life. I'm like hollow out an issue of Time Magazine to swap the covers or something like that. It's, it's funny because I, it's still, you know, this was a long time ago. And I still, whenever I get sick, man, all I want to do is lie down and read comics. Amen. Like when I've been in the hospital, like my wife will bring me comic. I remember I was in college and the only person in college who knew I was a comic fan was my buddy Bernie. And I, I got laid up in the hospital and he showed up almost every day with comics for me. Nice. And it was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Like he's the best friend ever. Aww. And, you know, I, I'm always appreciative of it, but it's one of those things like it's it stays with you and not because of the heavy metal, because, you know, the comics themselves. But boy, that heavy metal, man, I was a special ass day. <laughs> Anyway, you know, we're talking about nostalgia, so we'll drop a little nostalgia there. But I, whenever I see a heavy metal issue like randomly pop up something, that's what I think about. And it's just such a nice, fun feeling. It gave me a nice, cozy, warm feeling about this movie just right up front for the stupidest of reasons. Well, I guess it's not stupid, but, you know, for, for the most random of reasons. And then, you know, of course, it lost us with the finding out why she's in hell with the HBO and Fraggle Rock money. But, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. up until then. I'll tell you, one of the things was right. I didn't like it when she had to deep throw up the snake either, man. That made me gag. Whoa. Oh, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> that was tough. That was tough to watch. Uh, I can tell you this much. One of the nostalgic bits for the movie for me had to be Sally's character, uh, played by Shayna Shruton. She's been in uh, Significant Others and Of Little Convenience. But those those massive glasses, just like the massive Oh, man, yeah. that was the first thing I noticed. Oh, my God. I was like, I was like, I had those. It's like, she's, those aren't glasses, man. She's got two fucking coffee saucers on her face. Just wearing windshields <laughs> on her face. <laughs> I was like, damn, that, that brings me back. Did you have glasses that big? Yeah, I, I used to have these, like, big aviator-type lenses. They were massive. Wow. I don't know, man. That, just big glasses. Like, it was, it was unnervingly big. And I know my mom used to have sunglasses like that, like them big Jackie O sunglasses. Yep. But it was very 87 appropriate. I mean, it's like it did not take me out of the zone. I was like, yep, that was right. That's what they had back then. See, my my with her, I, I you know, my parents were ministers. I spent a lot of time in and around churches and other ministers and church people. So she was yeah, familiar. She was on point for a lot of people I knew growing up. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I don't know how many of them were protesting outside of script clubs. I don't think uh, the towns I grew up had too many. But, uh, you know, and any kind of like overtly 
judgmentally religious character like that is always going to, you know, make me twitch a little bit. But I, I liked the arc that she went through in this. I look, the whole movie's pretty heavy handed. It's not subtle in what it's doing or what it's saying, but I, it's one of those messages that I don't think really particularly needs to be subtle. No, mm-hmm. I don't mind being beaten around the neck and the head with it. And this movie certainly does that. And I think despite that, they did it well. And she pulled off the character and the character transformation that she, you know, the path she was on. And I, I appreciate it. I thought she was a good performance. Uh, both of them, yes. really. There were a couple of moments where where Angie stops, you know, like in the middle of some scene and says, well, now hold on, let's discuss this. And I'm like, just keep going. It, it could have flowed a little bit more. I, I guess if I have a particular gripe with the film, there were a few moments like that where it felt a little jarring in where they just kind of pause and you know, have a little tete-a-tete about faith or, you know, whatever. I was fine with that. My biggest complaint was the sound quality, honestly. Uh, for the most part, it was fine. But anytime, like, Asmodeus is, like, talking, I could only catch, like, half of it. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't understand a word he said. I wasn't even, I didn't even think we were supposed to. You're supposed to. Like, he's actually saying things, and I caught half of it, and I went back, re-listened, and, but no, it, it's. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't quite make out the Asmodeus stuff either but it didn't really bug me because I I got hung up on it right in the opening scene so if you've seen the movie the opening scene is a televangelist who by the name of Wallace uh who's played by Buzz Lear and he has this you know whole bit where he's and and he's basically put in one of the things I, I liked about the film that I wish they had been able to go further into but I guess you're kind of hamstrung in it because going too far down this road there's only so much you can do with the creature elements in this movie based on budget and indulging this element more might've led down that road. But I liked the inherent parallel between a peep show, you know, and a strip club esque location and the inherent voyeurism of angels and demons. I thought that was a a really fun parallel and, and the whole, you know, with Asmodeus basically putting these people in a booth, wearing them down and emotionally stripping them bare but that opening scene with, with Wallace, the televangelist, you know, it's, it said you can't quite make out. It's just him kind of, you know, ranting and, and trying to prove his point. And all you get from Asmodeus is. <laughs> and can't, but it, it didn't bug me because I just wanted the scene to end with Wallace going, all right, fine, fine. Send me to hell. But just just can you give it to me? Can you give it to me? Once? Just give it to me. Next time, gadget. Next time. <laughs> he was so fucking Frank Welker as Doctor Claw with his particular. <laughs> like it was next time. That'd been awesome. So, I was couldn't understand him. Didn't give a shit. Sound like Frank Welker. Fine with me. I just immediately thought of it as a as a demonic peanut parent man, just out here <laughs> wah, wah, whine. That, that might have been the intent. Yeah. <laughs> You know, now, now I, I may go back and, and kind of review what he's saying, but I it just it didn't seem like it was particularly important to me. You know, I'm sure it was some variation of, you know, just, I think it was more like, you know, uh, it was about judgment and, you know, the sins of the sinners and stuff like that. Like he was saying things that, you know, the, the point of the movie is the conversation between the two leads. And that's what really matters. But, you know, Asmodeus is saying things. You know, un- unless you catch the Chud reference in the HBO Fraggle Rock movie, like the dog and the thing, and you know what, what it's all about right up front. I will say this. So perhaps my favorite thing and almost in the entire film was the final shot. 
I was going to say, if you're working on a low budget and you want to like save up, there's CGI shots throughout, and and yeah. so they're, they're they spend money on stuff. You know, the Asmodeus suits dimly shot, but you know what we see of it, it looks good. It was quality, it's very stylish. Yeah, so all the stuff we see looks good. But if you're going to really spend your money on one big thing, <laughs> they do a really good job spending it on one big thing in this movie. Yeah, and I I just I really like the pan up and the visuals of it like that really really got me like i thought that was just cool as shit that that actually brings up a good question so we're, we're spoilers so we'll just say you know basically they're stuck in the labyrinth the world has become the labyrinth hell on earth to some degree but it ends with them going through that kind of church-like door so my question to you is we'll do eric first what happens to them how's this end because I feel it's left to interpretation. I'm curious how you took it. I assumed it was, yeah, that they gave you an out by having that fancy doorknob. Because otherwise, it, you know, it would have just been, you know, hanging, you know, another left. So I think that gives you an out. But yeah, I think it was left up to interpretation because there's always, you know, what if we want to do reveal or two? I mean, aside from it being open to interpretation works entirely well. It just, she ain't going to fucking heaven because of Fraggle Rock. We know that shit. So... <laughs> So it works in the context of the film, but it also works ambiguously as a backdoor, you know, if they wanted to do something else, which the comic may or may not be doing stuff at different points in time, which may or may not be after. Because, again, I think the one shot that's coming up is actually an anthology. So who knows? We might get some more in the comic. What about you, Jake? How do you, what do you think of the ending? How do you interpret it? So before I answer that, I have to ask a question. And I think I know the answer to this. Have you ever actually finished the Gunslinger series? Yes. Okay. So, all right. Spoilers. If you're going to read the Gunslinger series or from Stephen King, and if you haven't read it, I'm about to spoil the very ending. It sucks. So suck it up. Stop it. Book four. Anyway. Um, sorry, Steve. It's just, it is what it is, man. You just let us all down. Anyway. Uh, so at the very end of the Gunslinger, he gets to the Dark Tower. He gets to the top and what happens is everything resets. It starts over, except there's slight differences. Like this time he's got the horn that he's been searching for. So he starts with that. And it, the idea is that he's you know going to go through all this again. And he's slowly making a difference. He's slowly changing things, but he's caught in a bit of a loop. And I think that's probably how, if I had to say what happens when they go through that door, is that it starts over again, except this time they're a little further on their road to redemption. And then they go through all of this stuff again, and they're in a bit of a loop to save their immortal souls, as it were. That that would be my guess that, as to what went through when they go through that door. For me, I am a big believer that when you do your moral journey and fight beside your, your people, you know, you earn your reward. And, and I felt that the door was special, the handle was special, and I think there actually was some level of redemption or solace on the other side of that door. I think she actually was right in believing that you know her son was behind it, and they had some form of whatever happy ending you can get in the world that's revealed to you at the end. Now, it's funny, though, because I was watching this with my wife, and I was talking about this, and I was like, what did you think? She's like, oh, they're fucked. <laughs> she was just like 100% they are so screwed <laughs> they're trapped in this endless maze like everyone else welcome to hell they're done 
Well, they're there at least until they understand that she has Fraggle Rock money and she can admit that sin. I need to mention two things real quick. Sorry, the spinning out of that. One, I've never regretted the character limit on episode titles more than I do right now, because otherwise I really want to call the episode the peep show dancer fled down a brick hallway and the zealot followed. Nice. <laughs> That's perfect. But second, because this spins into something we were talking about earlier. All right. So spoilers for the movie, The One I Love. All right. Skip ahead if you haven't seen that movie. I'm not going to talk about it directly, but just. This exact thing happened on The One I Love. We talked about this earlier because I mentioned I'd seen Windfall, which was directed by Charlie McDowell, who was the writer director on The One I Love. This exact same thing happened on the one I love, where you took the way more optimistic view of the ending, and Hannah and I were like, oh yeah, fuck that. <laughs> very specifically, Hannah and I had that conversation about, it's like, it's, you don't think that thing Nick thinks, oh no, no, fuck him. And so, and so that was the same thing. I was like, holy shit, it's the ending of the one I love all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Rap. I am very, very excited to bring on a very special guest for this episode of the pod. In prose, he's the author of Black Star Renegades and We Are Mayhem. He's the author of many, many comics, but in terms of horror comics, he's worked on Maul, Cursed, Burning Fields at Vault. He co-wrote The Plot with Tim Daniel, Wasted Space. Uh, he's currently doing the series of Barbaric Minis at Vault. And nice. since he mentioned that no one points this out in an interview he did at Word Balloon previously, I'm going to specifically mention that he did the Captain Boomerang story <laughs> in Suicide Squad <laughs> Secret Files. Nice. So please join me in welcoming Michael Morisi. <laughs> I hope I come in this interview and be like, Mike Morisi, is that the guy who wrote Captain Boomerang? <laughs> <laughs> So for context on that, so in a weird way, you were kind of the face of pandemic era horror for me because I kept watching a bunch of horror comic live stream, you know, as everyone was pivoting towards streaming stuff, you know, in the early days of the pandemic. And two of the very th early things I watched on horror comics was one, you were on the Baltimore Comic Con horror comics panel with Jim Terry and Afua Richardson, which was fabulous. But you were also with your co-writer of this movie, Tim Seeley, you did the horror movie trivia contest with Word Balloon. Oh, yeah. And that was where Tim, having worked on Shatterstar, came up and he said, well, no one references that I did Captain Boomerang. So <laughs> I made damn sure I was going to bring up Captain Boomerang. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. You know, I think I can speak confidently for Tim and I for Shatterstar and Captain Boomerang, but some things are best left for God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. I love Captain Boomerang. Yeah, it's a good story. It's pretty good. I mean, it's it's weird. When I got that assignment, I was like, you know, you always say yes. You're always like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll do it. And I got off the phone with the people at DC, and I was like, fuck, am I going to do What am I going to do? I, what am I going to do? And and, and I, it turned out fine. It was good art. It, it was fun. You know, it was around those Suicide Squad movies. That's where the the thirst for Captain Boomerang was, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they were all backups in the uh, El Diablo mini, right? And so it was like the El Diablo was the fourth story, and then it was a series of backups. Yeah, it was like, um, well, they were like huge issues. So it was like a 40 or 50 page issue. So like it was like Diablo was like four issues, and I was like two, and then Somebody else was in there, too. I forget what. Uh, Chris Sabella has a Killer Croc story, and Vida Ayala has an Amanda Waller 
story. Okay, there nice. you go. Does a Captain Boomerang die like right away in that movie? Oh yeah, in the second one. The second one. <laughs> the second dies. one. Okay. Yeah, dies on the beach. <laughs> huh. I remember being? I enjoyed that movie, but I remember being disappointed about that because again, I always liked Captain Boomerang. Yeah, he died quite a lot. A lot of suicide cast members died in like the first five minutes <laughs> i was floored i did not see that coming <laughs> i was impressed yeah james gunn gives zero fucks yeah. <laughs> that's funny because we were just talking an episode ago about doing slither on the pod so that's james gunn comes up two episodes in a row so good so that's, good that that is some juicy goodness right there can't wait i you know i mean how this trauma guy went from trauma to guardians to suicides. I'm, I'm, I love it. It gives hope for all of us, you know, but um, <laughs> God bless him. It's just a kind of a minor miracle, like where, where James Gunn was and where he is. It's incredible. Well, I, I don't know. After watching Revealer, you guys are probably on your way for that track too. I'd be willing to bet. Well, thank you. I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess we'll see, <laughs> you know, guardians four, here we come. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. We're definitely going to talk about your, because you got a lot going on in comics. We're definitely going to talk about your comic stuff. But yeah, in terms of movies, this is, we have a list of, of movies for, you know, if, if we ever get to this movie, we're going to see if this person wants to come on as a guest. Because we usually try and get, you know, ask people on for something we know that, you know, they love or that they're passionate about. So you're on the list like 15 times. I, I know specifically <laughs> you're on there for Crimson Peak. Oh, yes. Among many other things. But it's funny. So of all things, the first time we had you on as a guest on the pod is for a movie you wrote or co-wrote. So this is it's a safe bet. He likes it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we won't want to assume, but we liked it. So, you know, <laughs> well, depends on the day of the week. I don't know. <laughs> Call, we'll see the day of the release, how much I like it. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you co-wrote this with Tim Seeley and Tim's obviously got a long, long history of work in horror comics. And like I mentioned, I, I knew you two were familiar with each other from the Word Balloon Trivia Contest, funny enough that you did. But prior to that, so how did you and Tim meet and start working together? Because I know, I, if I remember correctly, you worked on some Hackslash stuff as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So Tim and I have been friends uh, over a decade now, uh, at least. Nice. Let's see. We met, I mean, we met here in Chicago. We're both local to here. And we started going, he was, well, he went first. There was this thing in Chicago called Drink and Draw, where it's just, you need a bar and, you know, a bunch of comics people get together. And at the time there was, you know, we, I mean, I look back on it, there was like Seeley, Norton, uh, Jim Terry, who mentioned Chris Burnham was there. I was there. Uh, Ryan Brown. Uh, it was just uh, a lot of people who burgeoned into these great comic careers. And um, yeah, Tim and I became pretty fast friends and, you know, Ultimately, uh, you know, truncate the story led to um, he was relaunching Hack Slash at Image and wanted a backup series. And what ended up happening is that I got um, Hoax Hunters with Tim's brother, Steve Seeley. We did it together um, and we did Hoax Hunters, you know, there. And that led to Hoax Hunters spinning off to its own series. I wrote some Hack Slash issues then I wrote a mini series after Tim ended it. And we just been besides working, we just been best friends, you know, like. I mean, I just saw him a few days ago. We live like 15 minutes away from each other. So we see each other all the time. You know, he's, you know, we're both dads. We're both doing comics. We both love horror. Uh, we both have a pretty, pretty, you know, we're kind of like the flip side of each other. We have like these like very, very similar crossovers, but these unique differences at the same time. Uh, mm -hmm. We were just talking about that recently, but uh, 
yeah, Tim's one of the good ones, you know, like I'm fortunate to call him a friend, fortunate to call him a, a collaborator. And, um, you know, I just think the world of him, he's just such a great guy, a great writer, a great artist to do this endeavor, a revealer with him. Um, I don't know. Can't imagine him and Luke, who also is a good friend, uh, who I'm sure we'll talk about more as well. You know, I couldn't imagine any other way. That's lovely. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Tim. God damn it. <laughs> I pour my heart out. <laughs> well, gee, that's not what you said before we started. No. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was drinking then. <laughs> different times. Different times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that actually takes me into what I was going to ask next was how Luke came into the picture and started working with him. Cause I, would guess that would be through Tim because I know Luke and Tim were working on uh, revival projects prior to Revealer, or at least based on the demo reel proof of concept trailer that's on Luke's Vimeo page. Yeah, exactly. So um, I know Luke through Tim. So Tim and Luke have known each other more. Tim and Luke became friends through revival. Uh, Luke is a f- uh, local filmmaker, very talented, just a wonderful, wonderful person. And basically, Luke was passionate about revival and he's been trying to get it made. And that's still actually in, in development. He's still working on that, but he and Tim forge relationship and friendship through that and collaboration as well. Tim isn't um, as active on revival uh, through his own choice. I think he's just, it's, it's hard to adapt your own stuff, mm. but he's still been a participant. You know, Luke is, Luke is one of those filmmakers, producers who doesn't, you know, just take your work and, and run away with it makes a lot of grand promises and and just disappears, which most of them do. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, they became friends. And then I became friends with Luke. Uh, We share a similar affinity and passion for film just in general. Um, And we became friends. And, you know, uh, the three of us, you know, we're just all of a sudden just buddies, you know, all three of us. Like I said, Luke and Tim more closely because not only were they friends, but they're working together and had that relationship. But yeah, we, we were all before Revealer even became, you know, a nugget of an idea. We were, we were all good, really good friends. Oh, nice. Very nice. Yeah. You know, we're very lucky. We're very lucky, especially, and I'm sure we'll talk about it, especially the conditions in which Revealer was made. I don't know how you don't do it if you're not friends. <laughs> <laughs> so how did Revealer come about? So we have to kind of like rewind to early summer, late spring of, of 2020. And obviously this is kind of a seminal time, you know, because this is early COVID, you know, like I think the lockdown started, if I'm not mistaken, in April, maybe it was March, but I'm pretty sure it was March. Like, end March. Of March yeah. It was March. Okay. March 15th. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> wow. Oh boy. Yeah. We, we had recorded the day before. Yep. We did a Mike Flanagan episode <laughs> together. <laughs> And oh the, man, the weekend following that. So we recorded on a Sunday. Monday was when everything went into effect, and the the weekend that was coming up, we were all supposed to get together for our twice annual horror weekend, where we get together and watch nothing but horror movies. So nice. We were this close to doing it. We haven't been able to get together and do it oh, since. Oh man! So oh. we're keenly aware of the time frame. We that. we tried to do it after two years. We tried to do it this April, and then I got COVID. So it's like you know, a week ahead of time. It's it's, it's a week window. Shit! It's so heartbreaking. Oh, <laughs> but we'll 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 do it eventually. Anyway. Oh yeah. So uh, <laughs> around May of that time, so things have been shut down for nearly two months or you know, they're about 
Luke has a friend who's a producer uh, who produced Revealer, who's really uh, the tip of the spear of Revealer. Her name's Sarah Sharp. Her and her husband, Rob Stern, who's actually the DP of Revealer as well. And she saw two things. First was that her crew that she usually employs, a very dedicated and really great crew who she still works with you know, to this day, two years later, she, she brings together a remarkably consistent crew, which is a testament to her because return business is good. You know, it, it shows that people want to continue working with you and not everybody has, not everybody has that. So she wanted to get people to work, uh, which is a testament to her character. And she's also like, there's going to be holes in the market. You know, there's going to be streamers who are going to want content. There's just going to be a, at some point, the well is going to run dry of stuff that people have already made. And mm-hmm. she, she was confident she can get something made and get it made safely. Uh, and she was right. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into that. So she had, you know, that character of, of wanting to put her people to work and also the foresight, the wisdom to be like, hey, I see an opportunity. So she went to Luke and was like, do you know anybody who might be able to do this? We need to start, you know, immediately. We need to start quickly. Uh, originally, and I'll, and I'll say this really fast, and this is not how it turned it out, obviously, but originally we were thinking this movie was going to come out like end of 2020, like beginning of 21. You know, we were like, we're going to make it and boom, this thing's coming out. You know, mm-hmm. that's not what happened. And thank God it did it uh, because we just took needed time for post-production, more time than we thought. But anyway, the clock was like, go quick pace, go, go, go. So she went to Luke and she's like, do you know anybody? And Luke turned to us, Tim and I, and was like, do you have any pitches? Can you do anything? Can you think of anything? And so we pitched a few ideas, one of which was Revealer. It was Tim's idea. It was one of Tim's pitches. And, you know, we had, you know, strict limitations. Sarah was very clear. Like, we can't have two people really interacting as little as possible, although that changed Originally, they, you know, Sally and Angie were going to be separated in the in the peep show booths the whole time. And, and eventually we just couldn't make that work. And if you guys, you know, you guys have seen the film, you know, that obviously is not what happens. But we still did it safely and everything like that. And so we work within those restrictions and Revealer was sort of born and, and Sarah loved it. She thought it was doable. And we were off and running. You know, we wrote the script. We already wrote a little bit of an outline, wrote the script. The script was written in... um eight days uh wow <laughs> impressive yeah never again <laughs> <laughs> we can barely plan an episode in eight days <laughs> wrote an entire script that's uh that's impressive well i mean you know it's funny tim and i we say two things one we're just used to it that's comics that is thoroughly comics you know and deadlines 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 there's yeah there's never time there is never time in comics nobody has their shit together nobody's like let's let's plan this stuff out no everybody's like you know we we're already behind by time of me asking i'm already behind so we're used to constantly being behind the eight ball and just going as fast as we can and that's just par for the course and screenwriters i know this i used to be in film school film was my original aspiration are just precious about their stuff and need time and they got to go, you know, probably book a hotel for a month and think about shit. I don't know what they do, but they're not working. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Tim and I don't have that. You know, we just, we've been trained through years and years of doing this to just go, go, go. And I was also COVID. We're like, shit, anything that's a distraction, anything that's a welcome, like anything but this, that we can put our energy and focus and minds into, 
yeah, let's do it. And, and that's what we did. And we just kind of went and ran with it. And, you know, eight days later, we had a draft. I mean, Grant, this, the, the draft was a living document. It changed over the course of, you know, going through producer hands, going through Luke's hands into production. You know, I was on set changing there. So it's still, it still changed. But the draft was, yeah, eight days. Impressive. Yeah, well, particularly so because I know a lot of writing duos that you all have different systems, but it's for this particular movie, it's there's not a whole lot where you where you can like switch off. It's not like there's two parallel narratives or something. It's all basically one linear. You know, no one can take you know. I'll take the Ray scenes. You know, all you know two of them or whatever, since it's all just kind of one single thread. So that had to be particularly interesting in terms of working out the process with a co-writer to, to put all that together in that little window of time. Yeah. I mean, it was, and, and Tim and I have kind of collaborated on some other things, not to this extent, but we've discovered, you know, my strength. Um, I don't know what to call it. I guess a structuralist, if that's a word, like I'm good at structure. I'm mm. good at like, okay, here's, here's how a story functions. I can take a story apart, you know, in that watchmaker kind of way and put it back together again. Like that's what I do well and that's what i've you know kind of been trained to do tim is good at voice you know tim is good at unique character unique voice so we were able to combine these things to be like you know i did a lot of structural work i did a lot of like that kind of um you know building the floorboards and that you can build on top of and tim kind of came in and he contributed this as well and vice versa i think i contributed to the voice of the character as well but like in terms of who was leading the charge i think that's how it worked out and it was, like I said before, in terms of our personalities, also in terms of our work, like I think we're good complementary pairs to each other. And we needed that. We just didn't have time to, one, to figure out our relationship. And two, we just didn't have time to time to bicker, time to argue. You know, we just had to get it done and, you know, use our strengths and, and diminish our ego. And, you know, the thing is, like, at the end of the day, and the same thing worked with, you know, Tim Daniel, who we did curse and plot and this kind of stuff together. like. I don't, I don't remember who wrote what, you know, I don't know. Like I, I, there's certain lines, especially in Revealer, like I know Tim wrote like the Chud line, like that's thoroughly Tim <laughs> and it's a great line. That's all, that's Tim, you know, um, but other than like a few instances, I have no idea. I, I, I just, I do not remember. Well, now you, you've piqued my curiosity. So <laughs> Tim had the Chud line. So what, the movie as a whole is clearly a love letter to like the 80s. And God bless it. <laughs> but like what type of 80s horror or just horror in general has like in movies has, has piqued your interest? Like what are your favorites? For Revealer specifically? For you. Just you. Like what, what movies do you always go back to the well for when you think of horror movies for yourself? Oh, boy. You know, there's so many. I mean, I. I oh, yeah. You know, narrowing it down. You know, I, it's funny. I do love 70s and 80s horror, and Tim and I have talked about this a lot, especially with Revealer. Like, Carpenter is is mm. one of my all-time... I think he is a, a... God, this is such an undervalued American auteur, you know? And I know auteur is kind of a dirty word. I don't think it is. I it's think, not inaccurate. No. <laughs> works have authors, you know? Like, yep. somebody's the author, you know? Like, it's not a bad thing to be like, is Stanley Kubrick the author of his movies? Yes, he is. Yes. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, John Carpenter puts his name in the possessive in most of the titles. So, <laughs> and it is. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's all his. It is. I mean, it's funny. Now, working on a movie, you know, you see, and this is a digression, but you see all these people, you know, in film Twitter, you know, chatter about like, you know, the 
watch her theory is bullshit but it's like look i've worked on a film and the carpenter is just a fucking carpenter most like the carpenter set was like i i just i'm just a carpenter man I, i'm not like here it's not my movie i don't even really like movies like i'm just here you know like and they, and they did a great <laughs> job my job yeah they're a craftsman and 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 our carpenter who are you know they did great job awesome job but it's like they're not vying for authorship of the movie mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yep. like, they probably don't even know you're gonna watch it <laughs> um they, they built a pretty cozy looking uh stripper booth though i'll give them that they did they did i mean <laughs> i'll tell this i'll tell you guys in a moment i'll tell you the story of the how that thing came to be it's it's uh, remarkable but um but yeah, so I like I like Carpenter. I love Carpenter. He's one of my gods. There's no doubt. But I, I'm a, I'm a classic horror guy. Like I love more than anything uh, the Universal cycle, and not just the monsters, but also the movies in between with like Lugosi and and, and yes. Cheney with with you know with everybody, um, Karloff, the Black Cat, uh, all those twisted, messed up, crazy movies. Crazy movies. The Black Cat is is bananas uh, <laughs> um uh so good but i love i especially love the the universal monster uh movies are just my favorite i love frankenstein james wales is a genius uh dracula is incredible i mean all of them i don't need to name them like you guys don't know you know <laughs> uh well jake might what's <laughs> Tell me more about this Frankenstein guy. <laughs> you don't watch a lot of 80s in the horror in the 80s and you get branded for life here. Jeez. <laughs> I'm familiar with the Black Lagoon, but I didn't know it had a creature. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> didn't Abbott and Costello star with some of those guys? <laughs> it was mainly, it was mainly, they started it, really. <laughs> Which is why I love Crimson Peak. You know, I love gothic horror, you know, um, and I love Del Toro. He is my favorite. Oh, God, yes. Probably my favorite filmmaker of all time. And Crimson Peak is, um, still need justice for Crimson Peak. Um, but <laughs> that hit all the right notes. That hit all, all the right notes of things that I love Crimson Peak. And many of his movies did, but that especially. Just, the, the most gothic of gothicness in that one. That uh... <laughs> Full gothic. He went yeah. full, yeah. full gothic. Like, you cannot get more gothic than Crimson Peak. Like, every trope, everything that is gothic. You know, the Ray Russell stories, the Victorian area, all that stuff. It's just that is the DNA of Crimson Peak. And that's what he does best. He mm-hmm. takes something he loves. He thoroughly understands it. He wraps both arms around it and loves it and makes something of yes, it. Yes, you know? absolutely. And it's brilliant and beautiful every time. And it shows in every iteration. Like, like everything he does, you can just see him going, ah, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's funny because he never, you know, it's so wonderful what I love about him. It's like him and Tarantino, who I also love, don't get me wrong, but there's such a strict dividing line between it because Tarantino is also always kind of like poking you in the ribs, being like, hey, look at this. Look at this cool thing. Look at this cool thing. Look at this. Look at this. It's just like this movie. Isn't it like this movie? Mm-hmm. Don't you love this movie? It's like this movie. And you're like, yeah, dude, fucking I get it. You know, <laughs> you've seen 70 cinema. Like, I got it. <laughs> you know, like they're just such that like relentless Tarantino-ish, although it's mm-hmm. kind of diminished with each movie. It's like gotten like, yeah. like Kill Bill, I find, and we're getting off track, but no, no, Kill no, Bill no, as a movie I enjoy. It. Off track doesn't exist on this podcast. <laughs> we don't have a track. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> so let's talk about Kill Bill for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it's a movie that's so enjoyable, but it's so like Tarantino just just relentlessly Tarantino of like, look at these things I like. Look at it. it's just like the game of death, right? Right, 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 right. And you're like, fuck. 
Yes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Kill Bill anecdote was when Kill Bill came out, I was in college and I was taking a course on Japanese film. And our professor came into class having just gone to see Kill Bill. And he just stood at the front of the class. And he says, I just came back from seeing Kill Bill. Part This was part one. And he just took this long pause and went, why can't Tarantino use his powers for good? <laughs> <laughs> and that's all he said about it. But that's always been at the, at the front of my brain. Why can't he just use his powers for good? <laughs> oh, no kidding. No, I mean, it's at that point. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, boy, I don't know. And this I was, was iffy, a professor yeah. who would have gotten all the Lady Snowblood shit, you know, and all the Mako Kaji references and stuff. Yeah. From the finale. He was just like, it's too fucking much. Yeah. He went to that, like, full on, at that point, like, is this guy just going to be riffing or is he going to do something? And he did. I think he did. I think once he kind of crossed that threshold and you get to Light and Glorious Bastards, you get to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he thoroughly becomes his own thing. And he's still doing that Tarantino thing, but he learned how to turn it down and turn other things up. And I think he's, I mean, he's one of the best. I think his later, the more he goes, just the better and better he gets because of it, you know? Like a fine wine. Like a fine Tarantino wine, which I'm sure <laughs> it's just a, it's just he put a new uh, his own label on an old bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tastes like Coppola wine, but yeah. Wait a second. <laughs> what was the one we watched at your bachelor party, Nick? That what Death was that proof. called? Death, Death proof. proof. That's it. I guess that's never come up on the pod before. Specifically, yeah, that Nick's bachelor party was was spent watching. In a theater that that was rented out, watching Killer Clowns from Outer Space and Death Proof. Nice. That's that's our pod in a nutshell. That's with a chimpanzee. With a chimpanzee. Yeah. And I was in a straitjacket for a little bit. Yeah, it was a good night. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> I have very good friends. <laughs> and the the chimpanzee was a movie star too so you know that's something right Louis. his name was Louie and he loved vitamin water and punching bellies <laughs> what movie star uh, is he was Speed Racer oh yeah that's right wow so you had the monkey from Speed Racer yeah yeah it was, it was... <laughs> you want to talk about tangents this was about the oh, most shit. random thing that had ever happened <laughs> we all used to work at Borders Books and Music mm-hmm. and one day a guy came in I, I, Eric should be telling this but guy you were you were checking him out right he was at the register and it's a married couple and they were both up there and i was talking to the wife and i can't for the for the love of god i wish i remembered how it comes up and she was like oh that's what i do for a living you know i i, I do monkeys <laughs> excuse me <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah give me a second give me a second and she hands me a couple business cards and says yeah 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 this is a, you know we you know, train chimpanzees and you know call us if you want you know we can do rentals and stuff like that and I went into the break room and with these business guys said, I think I met someone who peddles monkeys for a living. <laughs> and, and so we took one of the cards and tacked it up on the corkboard we had in the break room there. Cause it was just what other bookstores have a monkey rental you know, business card tacked up, you know, next to the local pizza place. Flash forward years later, and we're trying to come up and specifically friend of the pod Shannon is trying to come up for ideas for Nick's bachelor party and asked me, don't you have a monkey hookup? as a matter of fact and it's still in my wallet was that card years later don't you have a monkey hookup common question it's not about what you know it's about who you know that's true that's true these are life lessons here nick was expecting a stripper and we uh we threw him one of the biggest curveballs we've ever thrown anybody 
Yes. <laughs> so speaking of strippers, you said you had a story speaking about the stripper strippers, booth. Right. So it's weird. So make you realize there's like all these like weird happenstance, miraculous luck and uh, that got it done. You know, like without these like, I can't believe this happened things, the movie wouldn't have gotten made. And one of which was we need a location. We need somewhere confined, you know, single location that we could just basically take over for X amount of time. So Luke, actually, he lives in Champaign, which is just, you know, just like two hours uh, from Tim and I. And that's actually where the revealer was made, was in Champaign. There was a, this like office supply, warehouse, something, um, sales that had been not abandoned, but it was going to be torn down because they were supposed to be building a hockey rink. And the hockey rink got put on hold because of COVID. You know, all the construction was just, you know, stopped. And Luke went to go visit and spoke to the guy who ostensibly still owned it while they were waiting for this construction to happen. It hadn't even started. He's like, you know, blah, 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 we want to make this movie. And the guy was like, sure, man, like, go ahead. <laughs> Literally threw him the keys and was like, just get insurance. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Didn't even charge us. Didn't even charge. Wow. Like, wow. Which was insane. That's impressive. It was crazy. So we had this place that had, like, it was huge. It was this huge place we were able to build. Everything you see is built, like the tunnels, mm. the peep show, those are all built. Like we, there's no locations other than inside the supply warehouse. There was like an office in the front and like a huge like warehouse section in the back, which was enormous. I had wondered about the tunnels under if that was like sewers or something you had found. That's cool that you all built. built them. They look good. And there weren't that many. I mean, there's only a couple walls that we just kept shifting around. Know. Yeah, it's crazy. Movie magic, right? <laughs> Use the Doctor Who effect. Yeah. <laughs> the same tunnel. <laughs> it's not a movie. It's a roguelike. <laughs> yeah, that's right. At one point, Sally and Andrew are like, this is the same tunnel. And it's like, they're all the same tunnel. <laughs> all, all, all tunnels are the same tunnel. Yeah, there's four walls. <laughs> we just, <laughs> just kind of shifted. So, yeah, I mean, it was a miracle. I mean, it was like a miracle. And there was just a, a cascade of those things that happened that were like, allowed this thing to exist uh we got very 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 lucky very nice that's really neat and hey i, I mean i imagine a lot of things have a similar you know the, especially during covid you know you need a little bit of a little bit of luck to get by and it sounds like you you certainly had it yeah i mean you know what i've learned and now um so the producers of the film Shatterglass, which is luke's company luke and uh this woman jen and his uh, other partner brett I've joined them as a partner there since, and I've oh. you know worked on another film, Black Mold, which is directed by John Pato, which is excellent. It uh, should be coming, I think, next year. I've learned now through you know two years now experience. I'm I'm no expert. I mean, I I had a little bit, like I said, I have experience from being a, a film student, you know, many years ago, and I was also worked. I worked for HBO for a while. I, a little bit after that time. So I knew a little and I've learned a lot more now. But the thing that I've learned is that like making film, any film, but especially indie films, is that like you need all these things to happen that are dependent on each other. So in your in your linear thinking brain, you're like, okay, this is like a domino. Like, okay, I need to get some financing. We need to get some money so we can pay for a script or we can pay for a star. We can pay for location or all the things. And then once I get that, then I get more financing because it makes it more attractive and I can start into like pre-development. We can start paying, you know, an artist, blah, blah, blah. And then once we get that, you know, all these steps and steps and stuff. But in reality, all those things need to somehow happen at the same time. Like you think it's a line, but it's actually a circle. <laughs> and like, you're like, 
you need the star to get the money, but you need the money to get the star. I need the script to get the money. To get, it just like you throw all the balls in the air and just hope you catch at least a few. Mm. And that's how movies get made or don't made. You know, like it's like it's crazy. Like because you like I said, you would think it's like, oh, we go from A to B to blah, 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 blah. When really it's just like everything's happening all at once and you need everything to perfectly align like getting this location and getting other things and getting the financing, like all these things to perfectly be in unison. And then you can start. And then you just, you don't say anything. You never look back. You just go and you start filming, you start making a movie. And once you're making it, then you get more money really. Cause you're like, Oh, well, we're, we're already making it. People are like, Oh, well you're making it. Okay, great. I'll, you know, I'll chip into cause revealer was independently financed, which is the common case with independent movies. And once you're but making it, though, it gives people confidence because like, oh, this is happening, you know, like this is a real thing. So I can invest in this and I know where this is going. You don't know if it's going to be good, you know, but you at least know it, it's real. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's just a hard thing. And you wonder, like, this. and I knew this before through comics and through, uh, you know, optioning work and this and that. It's like people wonder how, like, how did, this thing is so bad. The show is so bad. or This movie is so bad. How to get made? It's like it's a miracle anything gets made like Mm, it's (laughs) an absolute miracle yes that show you're talking about does suck it was as likely to get made as something that's really good because that's just how it goes half luck (laughs) half luck most luck luck. (laughs) (laughs) is pray whoever got the luck is actually good at their job (laughs) well it sounds like one of our favorite indie filmmakers is rustic films and one of their mottos is make movies with friends and it sounds like that's a a thing that's working out for you as well yeah yeah i mean we like i said you know we were friends and i think you need that relationship because it's very challenging it is very stressful we had a blast and i i it's you know revealer comes out you know june 23rd and i think once it's out then it's going to change the dynamic of the movie because people are going to watch it and they're going to react to it it's just going to be something different but I've always contended and held in my mind and my heart that like, no matter what happens, this experience, I'm going to keep an Amber and it's just this perfect thing. That's one of the best times of my life. Made this movie to something I want to do forever. I did it with friends and we had a blast and I'm proud of what we did. And I'm happy with what we did. And, you know, there's a lot of ways that that can go sideways. You know, I'm sure you've all heard, bad sets, bad people involved, bad this, and it just goes very, very terribly. And, you know, that that can happen with friends. There's no doubt, you know, once you get into that 14-hour day grind of making a movie, yeah, you learn a lot about each other. You learn a lot about yourself. (laughs) But, like, there's that potential for, like, also to have a great time, you know? And I think, you know, it's weird when it comes to filmmaking, you know, it's this fine line too, where I think that like Luke and Tim and I, and even Sarah, Rob and, and everybody else involved, like we're also friends and we also know how to be professional. And I think we all treat each other as such and respected what each other did when we we're on the set, we're working when we were writing, we're working, you know, like, you know, there's a sentiment that I've, like I said, I've learned a lot. I'm not an expert, but I can say this confidently. There's a sentiment, and it was uh, people have talked about it more recently, and have started to get blowback where people said like, "Just make your movie, you know, just go make your movie." And I think that's to borrow a term coined by Luke is that's toxic positivity. You know, it's like go, just go spend forty to hundred to who knows how much money, you know, and make your movie and whatever. And it's like, yeah, but 
if you're not ready, if you don't have full resources, a, a half movie is going to do you nothing but recruit debt. Yeah. You know, if you're just relying on your friends and you don't know how to balance that relationship of like, you actually, I mean, I've, I've seen it now actually with a project firsthand, you know, like if you're pushing your friends and, and asking for free time and free this and free that, like it's a bad situation. So like, you know, like I, I, I'm thoroughly glad that I did it with friends and I would, like I said, I wouldn't have any other way, but like the caution, I was also like, you have to also be professional and know the job and be able to balance that friend pro relationship because, um, you know, just going out there and trying to do it, being like, hey, let's just get our buddies and make a movie. It's like, in theory, maybe it could work. But like, there's also the theory of like, yeah, you can also dig yourself a pretty bad hole, you know, and uh, end up in a bad place as well. And it's worse because you are friends. Yep. I mean, Jake hates me already. So, yeah. oh, we can, we can barely get through an hour long podcast without fighting. Let alone a movie. Yeah. They don't take long, luckily. We shot reveal in 13 days. So, if you can, if you can make it through that, you know, like you can. 13. Oh my gosh. Wow. 13 days. Definitely not. I mean, it's Jake. <laughs> We're in the same room for a weekend. It's fist fights. I mean, it's we'll make a short, make a short. <laughs> so, 13 days is, is, seems pretty quick and then how like how long was it in like post so like not to give too much away we're, we're a full spoilers podcast so if you've listened this far in our in our episode we've already talked about it but the final shot the uh maze shot is the slow pan out the labyrinth how like how long does something like that take to make or to work oh out? that took a while so it's cr- so what's crazy so oh man so when we went to post-production like like the schedule I mentioned before, you can finish a movie that fast. You can, you know, it's possible, but it takes, the problem is it takes more money than we had. Mm-hmm. So we were, it was a balance in post-production of kind of calling in favors. These aren't people that I knew. I knew, I know now, but didn't know at the time. And we were like, can you do it for this amount? It's not your usual rate. It's not insulting rate, but like it's, it's, you know, it's somewhere in between. Right. And when you do that, you're not top in the queue. You know, the people are going to be like, yeah, I'll do it. And I like you and we're friends and you are paying me. But like when other stuff comes along, I got to prioritize. And that's kind of what happened. Mm. And while every time that happened, we were like, no, 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 we totally get it. You know, one of the good things that happened with that is that our original VFX person, uh, who was really great, was taking a very, very, very long time. You know, it was just dragging on and on, you know, and, and, Post-production is a sequence, you know, you have to get things done because you got to get, you have to get things set, color and sound, all these designs, special effects, all of it needs to be set so you can lock the movie. And then finally, I mean, it's already been edited, but like the final edit can't really happen until all these things are aligned. And like that, like throwing the balls in the air, the same thing, like you need to get these pieces done and in a weird kind of unison to get the final look at it so you can get into the final edits and stuff like that. Now, because this person took so long and they, we weren't particularly happy with the work, especially Luke, you know, Luke has a better eye for this and knows what he wants and is far more of an expert than me. We were talking to somebody, start talking to somebody else. And I forget the original role of them. I think they were involved. I forget the exact story. They were involved in some capacity. And this person was like, hey, you know, I do VFX. I can do some stuff. Can I give it a shot? And we were like, you know, sure. 
basically, there's a shot in the movie. I don't know if you remember where you know Angie and Sailor are fighting the snakes, and one of the snakes turns and like hisses, and it's just a big open mouth toward the camera, towards yep. you know, towards the screen. Mm-hmm. That was that person's basically their sample shot. And they're like, you know, I could do something like this. Is this cool? And we were like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll do. <laughs> uh, um, so this person who did it, and I'm, and I'm, I feel so bad. I, I'm forgetting their name. I actually had the poster above my thing. Is the VFX person? Oh, Brian Zurich. Brian did the uh, practical effects, and Brian is brilliant, 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 brilliant. But I forget who did the stuff at the end that we're talking about. Stepped in and was fantastic very hungry, very like, just let me do this stuff. And similar with the snake, he sent us this thing, like the beginnings of this maze. And like, he's like, I, you know, I'm working out this thing for the credits. I don't know. Uh, what do you think? And we're like, what the fuck? <laughs> 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 like, wow. Shit. They're like, yes. I know it looks like Da Vinci, but you know. He's <laughs> <laughs> painting this woman who's just like sitting down. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so just one of those things that we kind of lucked out into like this guy just doing this marvelous job and it didn't take too long but by that point you know we were fortunate by that point like the ship had sailed we're like this isn't coming out in january you know like of 21 like we're we're not doing this we're not rushing it and i think also and i don't want to like pat myself on the back too hard after people start seeing the rough cut and the only people who saw it were like producers and, and myself and Luke and stuff like that. And Tim, although Tim didn't watch the cut until much later, but we were like, this is really good. You know, this is something. And I, and I, like I said, I don't know what people are going to think about it. I love the movie. I think it's magical. I think the time is magical that we spent, but like, I love the movie. I love it. And we started seeing it and we're like, this is really good. This is really good. You know, we we're really happy with how this turned out. So Let's take our time. You know, we don't have to blow through post-production. We, you know, we're also realizing, eh, you know, other people are making COVID movies. There's more content than we thought. You know, all these bigger places are sort of figuring it out too. You know, so we don't need to race through. So let's take our time. And part of that then, like we were talking about, like we wouldn't pressure people in the queue when we were in their queue, but we were also just like more lax about it. Like, okay, well, we'll get there when we get there, you know, and it allowed people allowed our uh, the Alex Cuervo who did our score who was mm-hmm. excellent to take more time and figure things out and he did awesome and the specs to be even better the lighting and the sound you know the sound design uh, sound floor here in Chicago did it and um, you know it was incredible so given the luxury of time and being able to have that patience uh, because we could have went to the people we said like hey we need this done you know December twenty first or whatever we could have said those things that. You know, who knows how that shakes out, but like, would we have gotten as good of work? I don't think so. We certainly wouldn't have gotten that those shots at the end. We would have gotten the maze. We wouldn't have gotten the snakes. Those things would not be in the movie if we didn't shift gears and say, okay, let's be patient. Let's do this right. And it's a brilliant decision um, by Sarah and Rob and Luke and everyone involved and, and our investors as well, you know, uh, Kurt and all these other people who like allowed us the time and flexibility to do that i'd say it was definitely worth the wait yeah absolutely took the time and the quality really shows yeah so we we argued a bit about the end of the movie and the ambiguity of it we all had our our theories do you have a an idea how it ends that was maybe different from tim's or 
No, you know, it's funny. The ending was the hardest thing that we had. We had written originally a completely different ending. Uh, and that ending was kind of made on the fly, hmm. believe it or not. And we've talked about it a lot. And like we said, this is a spoilery podcast. So, you know, obviously when they go into the tunnels, they're in a different world. You know, they're no longer in our world. So it's a supernatural place. You know, we don't really hammer that home until really the end, until the, the credits, like you say. You know, I have my theories, you know, at the end of the day, my most important thing, and I actually want to hear you guys, if you want to share them, my most important thing, the thing that I love is like, this story about two different people who became friends, you know, who like, worked their shit out, were able to see eye to eye, and two very different women and very cool characters that I love, became friends, you know, like, I think that's something that's like, I don't know, you'll see that in movies, you know, we'll see like, Neither one, and the, the greatest thing is that to me, like, you know, one of them changed. And everyone was like, no, 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 you're wrong. No, 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 you're wrong. You know, one of them changed. They just accepted each other and they moved on, you know? And even at the end of the world, they could pull their stuff together. Yeah. Just the end of the world. It's all it took. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny you, you ask what we had, our impressions were. So, me, I'm very much a kind of a positive poly. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you know, I, I, I feel like her daughter's on their side and they find some small sanctum and all this craziness. They're good to go. And but of course I watched it with my wife. And so I said all this. She looks at me and goes, Oh, they're fucked. <laughs> I just started laughing my ass off. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's that's one way to take it, yeah. <laughs> nice. I had uh as I, I thought it was more of a gunslinger ending where you know, it's a loop. It's going to start over, but they'll have advanced a little bit. And each journey through, maybe they'll get closer to the ultimate goal. It's kind of how I read it. Never thought about that. Start the labyrinth over, but this time she has the copy of Heavy Metal. Which? <laughs> the Heavy Metal of Gilead. In between us recording the episode. I have it now. In between the recording nice. and the interview. Did you just have it or did you? No, I picked it up. I mentioned, I was like, ah, shit, I should have gotten this for a review. And since we had a window of time between that, I picked it up in the interim. Oh, my so, God. That's amazing. I just awesome. got this yesterday. Oh, man. Uh, winter 87 <laughs> issue. Was there any significance to that particular issue of heavy metal or was just the, the timing? It's the only one we get our hands on. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was perfect it, timing. Yeah. It aligned. Uh, Tim was actually working heavy metal at the time, and they were gracious enough to let us put it in the movie. Nice. We went to the warehouse. We need something circa summer 87. That's what they sent us. And we were like. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It. Yeah, another thing that just worked out. We're like, hey, can we heavy metal? Can we? Can you be in the movie? And they're like, sure. Can you send us the magazine? They're like, yeah, absolutely. So to to shift gears just a little bit, I, I would be remiss to let you go without saying how much we liked Barbaric. And <laughs> I I didn't know it until my brother called me and he said, "Did you get a copy of this?" And I said, "I'm by heaven." And he said, "Go back to the store and get a copy of this." And he he hounded me about it until I went out and basically a day later and picked up a copy of the first issue and absolutely loved it so my, my brother my brother and i are both huge fans oh well thank him for me and thank you as well uh yeah oh barbaric <laughs> anything with that slight touch of irreverent just really tickles me <laughs> oh me too i mean my favorite comic of all time is preacher so oh nice that's one of my top five as well yeah, Jake and I have both read the the Joe Abercrombie First Law books. Ooh, yeah. And when you were on the the ramp up for Barbaric, and you were citing 
Joe Abercrombie and Nicholas Eames, King of the Wilds, as reference points. I said, this is going to be a fun comic. And yeah, it was absolutely great. Vault has done those like limited 100 issue run covers of uh, like foil covers of a few books. And I hadn't picked any of them up until they did the Conan the Barbarian 1982 poster one for Barbaric. I didn't dig it out. But that is the first of those limited 100-issue variants of Vaults that I got. Oh, nice. Um, I think I have all the variants from the initial run of Barbaric Number 1. But that's, I, Conan was a big movie for me growing up. And so I had to have that cover. Damn. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a great cover. I, I sh- I'm jealous. I don't even have that. that that's how rare it is. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> oh shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. But no, I mean, I the same. I, lo- I love Conan. You know, it's always on top. It's funny. I won't say what, but I, so I was working on new Barbarian today and I wrote something from the second Conan. That's like, you will know it when you see it. <laughs> Unmistakable. <laughs> I'm excited. Oh, I look forward to the Conan the Destroyer reference. <laughs> like I said, it's painfully out. I was like, oh, that's, that's what he was talking about. When you get there, you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. <laughs> so is, is this in Axe to Grind, the second mini? No, I'm all done with that. I'm okay. writing the third now. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm working ahead because we are going to, the way it works, um, so Nate Gooden, the artist, the absolutely tremendous artist, Nate um, you know, has to shift other books. He's, he's a full-time employee of Vault. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a partner of Vault, so he has to do other books. He has to do lots of variants, so he's kind of pulled in different things, uh, although now that Barbaric thank goodness has become such a success, you know, it's, it's always a priority. So he's midway through Axe to Grind right now. Um, he's almost done with that arc. And then for the first time, a different artist is going to take over volume three and he's going to do a one shot or two. So he's going to have a little bit less pressure Then he'll come back for four full time. So we're okay. just kind of keeping things shuffling mm-hmm. and I get ahead. So like basically Nate and other artists can work at the same time. We didn't have that ability when the first arc came out because we didn't know we'd have to move this fast. We didn't know that it would become what it's become. You know, I'm glad. I mean, thrilled it has, but we just never planned on that. So we're like, oh, shit, we have to keep the line moving and have different artists. And that means I have to get far ahead so we can have multiple, you know, kind of things in production at the same time. Yeah, You've got the Harvest Blades one shot coming up, which is with Robert Wilson, the fourth on art. Yeah, and like Adrian said, he's like it's like the most fucked up version of a Saturday morning cartoon that you can right. find because <laughs> he has this very cartoony style that's so different than Nate. So I love it though, I absolutely love it, but it's so weird comparatively to those two. But he does look like this like crazy, violent Saturday morning cartoon, which is perfect. <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I love writing this. Um, I don't know. It's fun to do something. I think comics. You know, we're we're in this time and space where comics kind of take themselves really seriously or comics are kind of made for a TV pitch or whatever, or they're, or they're big too. They're just bland as fuck. And like, it's just, like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. there's just no, again, I mean, I wrote it because I'm like, there's no, and it's the same thing with Wasted Space. I'm like, there's no preacher. There's nobody doing anything. And it's the stuff that I love, you know, and it's, and I think people forget, and this is something that's so important to me, it's like, Preacher is filthy. There's no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Just, just disgusting. But one also... One of the main characters is named Arseface. <laughs> I mean, it's... And it's literal. It's literal. It's literal. He literally... And it's still endearing. <laughs> it's still endearing. You know, the thing is, like, 
it has so much heart. It has great characters. It has so much heart. And, and that's it's Tim and I, you know, Seeley talk about that a lot. Same the revealer. It's like it's heart in the trash, you know, like mm-hmm. we are purveyors of B movies and horror movies and D and D and fantasy and like but we also like it through the lens of a Garth Ennis or a John Carpenter or whatever who's going to be embracing the exploitation of it, but also being like, yeah, but one of the greatest comments I've ever heard from Revealer was some review, I forget what, they're like, I was not prepared to be so moved about a movie about Apocalypse in a peep show booth. <laughs> yeah. I was like, good. I'm High glad. praise. Yeah, I'm like, that's, that feels like an accurate statement. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I hope for. It's like, you know, like that's, you know, Tim and I are both, you know, Midwest, lower, you know, grew up lower class kids, you know, and like we just, we know this kind of life and we, we embrace it and we love it and that's who we are. And we grew up reading this stuff and, and, and living this kind of life uh, and like reading this kind of stuff that, like I said, the Ennises of the world and the Robert E. Howards of the world. And that's, I don't know, that's, I know from, I for one, like that's kind of my playground and that's what Barbaric was born out of. I'm like, I'm just so bored with most comics. I'm just so thoroughly bored. And um, I think people, I think that's why people responded. I think, like I said, I've been lucky with the response and grateful for it. It's probably the biggest comic. It is the biggest comic of my career, you know, thus far. And I think people responded to it because I think the things that I was feeling that led me to make it are the things I think a lot of people were feeling too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, here on the, the podcast, we call that all that stuff you just described as the good stuff. <laughs> so we're, we're with you. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of, I mean, this stuff exists. The good stuff exists. It's harder to kind of seek out, but there's a lot of good people doing good work. Don't get me wrong. But like, I don't know, you just want something that kind of grabs you. You know, I don't feel that as often as I want. And I don't feel as often, I think, as it should, as if people like really swing for the fences. And I think the stuff that dominates our culture, especially, you know, as we're getting more and more into this landscape of corporate IP, they, they just can't they can't take risks they can't grab you and and just demand your attention and and do something that's really going to be outside the box you know they're they are the box you know yeah so when you get to go in those spaces like creating barbaric or doing waste of space or whatever a revealer like i don't know i think you owe it to yourself and to what these movies and comics are trying to be to do nothing but go 100 miles per hour into it well, speaking of revealer and books you're working on at Vault, like Barbaric, you have a revealer one shot coming out from <laughs> Vault in August. Yes, which I'm very so that's coming out August 31st, and it's an anthology setup, right? Yeah, yeah, we're doing six stories. Um, or I'm sorry, no, 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 four stories, four stories, six pages each, and we invited um some people who worked on Aaron Coombs is writing a story. We're, we're writing, hmm. we're writing it together ostensibly. It's it's mainly him. I'm just kind of there to guide him as the comic. Sherpa, you know, to, to show him how it's done, I guess, even though it's not that hard. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, inviting some people who worked on the film, who were adjacent to the film, stuff like that, to tell stories in the revealer world, you know, like saying like, hey, if you're able to do the story in revealer, what would you do? And we got some really cool pitches and we're like, yeah, let's do this. Part of it was like, you know, Tim's story stuff we couldn't do because of budget limitations. So he's doing like this Kirby-esque uh, <laughs> revealer story i'm like uh it's amazing um so like you know we're just kind of just having some fun with it john wesley huff is doing one too right yeah yeah john's such a great guy and his story is is really great he's got dean Cotts on art who's awesome 
John's story is a, is a Ray story. It's, it's really good. It's a really good story. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to reading it. I've actually got his novel uh, in, in the Dark of the Grove. I haven't read it yet, but it's funny you mentioned Dean Cox. That was one of the other comics I wanted to mention because the episode right before this, our guest was Alex Segura. Oh. And who you're co-writing a book that's being drawn by Dean Cox, which is The Awakened, which is on Zest World, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, Dean's a, a revelation. He's he's fantastic. And Alex is a good friend of mine, and uh, yeah, it's 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 one of the as everyone I think the quickest reference points like Substack. It's like a subscription comic service um, where you get the chunks, you get like the behind the scenes stuff. Alex, Dean, and I write newsletters and you get kind of like the process and all that kind of stuff. So you get the added goodies in addition to the comic, which, you know, comes out every other week, I believe. Uh, so yeah, it's a cool superhero noir mystery that I, that I think is a lot of fun and Zest World's really cool. I think they're doing a great job like hosting their platform they got cool creators. They got us, they got, Pete Tomasi, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti, Amanda Connor. So they, they've got some cool people involved. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, speaking of superheroes and noir, Alex certainly demonstrated he can do that well with Secret Identity, which is <laughs> just came out. Holy shit. Oh, so good. It's so good. I'm, I'm glad for Alex. He's such a good writer. And I feel like this is his like breakout thing. Um, and he's done great stuff. Don't get me wrong. But this is, I feel like, put him into a new a new kind of place. Yeah, it seems like it's getting a good amount of buzz, and and I really hope the momentum continues for him because yeah, it's it's very very good. Me too. Yeah, and he's such a great guy. And he's worked hard. He's worked hard at this thing for a very long time, so it's uh, certainly well earned. Well, you've been working hard on lots of comics, like we mentioned. Do you have anything else coming up? I know you've got uh, hyperspace stories coming up from Dark Horse. Yeah, that's my new Star Wars thing. You know, I'm always kind of regularly doing stuff with them, which is great. Uh, I love. I mean, I'm passionate about Star Wars. There's not many, you know, IPs that I'm like crazy about. Star Wars is one of them, and I've been lucky to do a lot. So yeah, Hyperspace is like a 12 issue series for now, at least, of like a writers' room. Myself, Amanda Divert, and, and Cecil Castellucci, where we um, we're each writing, you know, four issues, and they're all kind of there's an interconnectivity to them, which is pretty neat which I like, you know, it's like not essential to follow that thread. But if you do, I think it's pretty rewarding. Hmm. So, yeah, so I've got that. I've got the new Barbaric, which is big for me. I'm, I'm pumped. The Harvest Blades and then Harvest Blades in July and then Axe to Grind in August. Uh, the Joneses with AWA is my, you know, kind of Fantastic Forest superhero thing. Um, issue three is out this month and it's out of five. And um, Revealer. Just full-on revealer <laughs> hell yeah ready to start on revealer 2 no i'm terrified of that people have asked me like, what about revealer 2 i'm like i don't i i have nothing i got nothing <laughs> like, it, they're gonna still be in the labyrinth so it's basically like kind of like just gauntlet <laughs> but with your, with your leaves. yeah it, it'll be i like guess it'll be like a dungeon crawler we it's an overhead the whole time and you just kind of do like that system which I don't know, I guess, you know, why not? <laughs> Stripper needs food badly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> An 80-minute quest of that. Done. Yeah. All right. That's right. <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah, shit, why not, you know? <laughs> you got my 20. <laughs> uh, call shutter. <laughs> well, yeah, like we said at the top of the review, everyone should check out the movie on Shutter and... 
Michael, can't thank you enough for coming on the pod. This has been so much fun. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This is a blast. Thanks for reviewing it. Thanks for watching it. And thanks for having me on. Like, I, I'm thrilled to be here, thrilled to be talking about Revealer. I, it's just, you know, there, I don't think there's anything I've done that I'm more enthusiastic and passionate about. And I just, I just like bubbling to talk about it. So I'm just glad to be here and be able to say Revealer as many times as possible. Just Revealer. Revealer. <laughs> so it's called Revealer. Yeah. <laughs> Watch goddamn Revealer, people. Please. <laughs> Just turn your computer on. Let it play. I, I need the metrics. Put it on loop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get that shutter algorithm. Which plays into my theory about the ending. Oh. Let's take a meta turn. <laughs> well, I think a lot of our listeners, I think all of our listeners at this point have shutter. I mean, they must, right? They have to. It's a horror podcast, so yeah. Hopefully, they'll all uh, they'll all tune in. It's so cheap. It's so reasonably priced. It's one of the best streaming services, if not the best out there. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's also just like I'm. I'm going to suck up to the bosses for a minute, but go ahead. <laughs> it's like the only streamer that has like a legit community. I feel like there's no Netflix oh, there community, is, there's no yeah. Hulu community, no give a shit. Like Shutter, like they got Joe Bob. You do the Mutant Fam. You've got their Twitter presence just feels real with you know the people behind it and, and Shutter itself like just feels like a community like and granted yes it's very narrow it's very specific it's horror and that's how horror is horror is a great community but like Shutter fosters it in such a genuine way yeah it's perfect horror fans are the nicest people <laughs> they work out all their shit in the horror and then the nicest people as I can you know I'm I, as I live and breathe. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, you watch all like hundreds of hours of horror. You walk into the world, you go, ah, it could be worse. <laughs> yeah. Things could be worse. Could, could be a lot worse. Could be, you know, could be many, many things. Could be Night of the Comet. Could be uh, Chud. <laughs> could be <laughs> uh, <yeah>. Critters. Uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Well, I should, should say at least this much. The Chud line was perhaps our most discussed <laughs> in our review portion. So. Damn it, Eric. <laughs> Not a chud. <laughs> well, Mike, well, Mike mentioned earlier that Tim was responsible for that line. So I was able to skip over one of my questions, which was, did you have HBO growing up? And if so, how do you sleep at night? So, no. so then we can save that question for Tim. <laughs> no, hell no. Neither one of us. It's funny we talked about that because that's the, that's the whole line. It's just like, yeah, I, I was going to buy shoes, but I bought HBO instead. But no, I never had HBO, hell no. All right. like, yeah, only rich people had HBO, right, Nick? Right, Nick? <laughs> I wasn't rich. <laughs> we, we have a term for it, which is Fraggle, Fraggle Rock, Rock money. money. That's what Nick had growing up. <laughs> La-dee-da. <laughs> I hate you all so much. <laughs> Your house made of pay-per-view and HBO. Jeez. <laughs> the house that Doozers built. <laughs> <laughs> like pay-per-view I, mean, I don't know if you guys remember this too like pay-per-view would be like this shit that like somebody would get like the boxing match and like the whole block would count yep yeah it'd be yep. like 30 yep. bucks for like the tyson fight and like everybody friends enemies doesn't matter pay-per-view brought the block together to watch this $30 extravagance, you know? Peeking through the windows of bars. and if you were yeah. getting WrestleMania, you suddenly had a lot of friends. Yep. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. You would watch pay-per-view. Like, I don't know if you guys did this. We, I would turn on the pay-per-view channel, hoping that, like... Oh, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. what, what if they fuck up? 
Yes. yes. <laughs> just in case, you the never know. The back trying to get it right. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I'm gonna watch know. this dot. Yep, that's that's how you know you're poor as shit. Because <laughs> you're like, well, at least three out of the four of us right on this podcast knew what that yeah, was so like. Oh my god, fragile rock money apparently. <laughs> Oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm never going to escape this. Nope. No, you're not. No, no. I'm not even sure what it is, but I can tell you no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, on that note, again, Michael, thank you so much. Thank you very much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Oh, yeah. Likewise, guys. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. This is a blast. Once again, big thanks to Michael Marisi for coming on the pod. We had such a great time chatting with him. Again, can't stress enough. Please check out his comics work. We all love Barbaric here at the pod. Check out The Awakened, which he's co-writing with Alex Segura. Uh, his co-writer, Tim Seeley, we'll just throw out some stuff for him as well real quick. Michael has his book with Vault, Barbaric, but Tim's also co-writing a book at Vault currently. He's co-writing West of Sundown, which is a period piece vampire book. And he also has a new uh, horror-ish satanic panic riff called The Roadie, which is coming up from Dark Horse in September. We talked about it during the episode about how good Preacher was as a comic. And I got to say, West of Sundown gave me real Preacher vibes. So I would yeah. definitely give that a look. Yeah, Tim's co-writing that with Aaron Campbell and great art by Jim Terry. And yeah, you're not going to go wrong with a vault book. Go get Lunar Room by Danny Lore. He's been on the pod before. Oh, and uh, Tim also did a good book for Aftershock called Dark Red. So that's another one to look into. Lots of choices. Plus he wrote Nightwing. Plus he had a really good run on Nightwing, yeah. Nightwing is awesome. Yeah, I had a blast talking to Michael, and I had a blast talking about this film. Thank you guys so much for doing this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was a good time. Fun movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, so like we said at the top, everyone go check it out on Shudder. Which you can do today. Today, people, you can do that today. Enjoy the movie! Actually, hopefully you already did it, because we spoiled the shit out of it from the last hour and a half. Yes, we did! (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, hope you enjoyed this episode. If all goes as planned, two days after this episode, we're going to have our episode on The Thing, John Carpenter's The Thing, for its 40th anniversary. And then we got Doug Jones Day coming up not long after that. We'll be doing Hocus Pocus. Can't wait. If you're not already following our socials, follow us on Twitter at ScaryStuffPod. Follow us on Instagram at ScaryStuffPodcast. We have a website, ScaryStuffPodcast.com. And we're also on Letterboxd. You can find us there. And if you dug this episode, you want to go to your preferred pod platform and leave us a review. That'd be great. So in the meantime, this is Eric saying thank you so much for listening. This is Nick sitting on my giant piles of Fraggle Rock money. This is Jake saying try to not deep throat any snake slugs this week. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Night, everybody. See ya. What can I say? Dudes are going to do.